This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Internet Marketing, the show where we help you to use the internet as part of your marketing machine. A lively show today with our roving reporter Kevin Newman bringing back a bounty of interviews from the Search Marketing Expo London last week. We have Rand Fishkin, founder of SEO Moz. Also we have Lyndon Ancliffe on how he made up a story that went viral. Kira Norris, who did the Transport for London video with the Moonwalking Bear, and a very short interview with Seth Godin. There were actually a couple of technical difficulties that we had with the line, but Seth has very kindly agreed to come in again next month and we'll see if we can get it right. And of course, commentary on the latest trends in online marketing from Helen Trendle, all coming up in Internet Marketing. Hello, everyone. I'm with Kelvin Newman and Helen Trendle again. And um, Kelvin, you've been to the uh, SMX, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a, a busy well, busy week for me. Two days up in London at the Search Marketing Conference there. Um, it's one of the biggest ones in the UK and very much kind of an advanced um, line they were going down this year. So lots of advanced sessions there, which, you know, it's pretty good. Some interesting bits about analytics I hadn't come across before, but managed to interview a couple of people, which, you know, for the podcast, and they had some good stuff to share as well. Yeah, more of that later. Yeah. You, you've been interviewing people in the corridors, have you? Yes, yes. Um, in the in the hallways of these hotels there, to so grab them there before they got onto their beers and trying to get them to reveal their secrets to the podcast. That's where the best interviews are gotten, I always think, in the, in the corridors. So it's, it's quite a short show today. So it's just a quick intro uh, from us, then we'll, we'll come on to the interviews in a minute. And Helen, you've got some uh, information you want to talk about, haven't you? Yeah, I was just really looking at um, what's sort of been happening in the world of internet marketing over the last few weeks. And there's just uh, been a couple of sort of significant launches that I thought we should just share with everyone, make sure everyone's aware. The first one of those is VideoPress, which is from our friends um, that brought us WordPress. And it's really just about being able to pull videos onto your site and stream those. So it's going to be interesting to see how video really takes over in the future as well. Is it going to be more video-based than text-based? And this is just another sort of step in there. And it's really powerful as well because from the little bit of reading I've done about it, it's going to give people the same kind of flexibility that they've got in blogging with WordPress, but to host video sites. So you can almost have your own mini YouTube. So that's the it's a kind of a CMS that's really built to deal with video, which you know could be really really powerful. Need to look at that, Helen. There's more, isn't there? Well, there's um, also Wolfram Alpha, which is easy for me to say. Yeah, we've been looking, we've been playing with this as well. <laughs> and um, it's uh, sort of built as the computational search engine, but it's really sort of t- taking us into the realms of Web 3.0, and it's really sort of looking at taking all the masses of data that's already available online, and then bringing that together and presenting that into sort of new formats. Um, so it's very interesting and one definitely to, to keep an eye. On. Have you actually had a play with it? I have had a little play, yes, and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I wasn't that impressed because the whole thing they were selling on that's pulling data from databases and it's intelligent and, you know, it's kind of a question one for that kind of computational kind of stuff. So I went in with what I thought was a question I needed the answer for. Google hadn't really done that well and I thought that, you know, this was a perfect one. I was trying to find out what the time difference was between um, the UK and um, the States. Mm-hmm. So I asked, okay, what time is 8am New York time in the UK? 
no answer, no response. It's mm. like we don't know this. When I would have thought from what they've been saying, that's the kind of data, it's a question that's data-driven that they can do better than Google. And I know it's early days, I know it's only an alpha, but mm. I really thought that was the kind of question that it was going to rock, and it, it didn't really, which is a little bit disappointing because they get all this press about being a Google killer, and they've kind of got that two minutes of opportunity to convince me that, you know, okay, for certain kind of queries, go to them rather than Google. And I wasn't impressed. You know, it's a shame, really. Oh, well, let's keep our eye on it. Helen, is there any more? Um, well, I think the other thing that Kelvin and I were discussing the other day was just the um, addition of micro formats as well into Google. So it's something that we mentioned here first on this podcast a, a few months ago now. So it's interesting to see that things that we talk about sort of come into action. So just give us a scoop. What, what exactly are Google doing again with microformats? Um, well, microformats are just ways of adding sort of mini tags, if you mm. like, to different types of content, um, particularly contact details, map information, and the way they're going to sort of expand that in the future, it could be certain types of content, such as um, recipes was one, as being a food blogger that I was particularly interested in. Mm. And um, that, so that's now happening. So they are now um, sort of using those tags to index and determine ranks of pages. Yeah, so what it'll mean is like on the search results, when you type in, you know, um, the Internet internet Marketing Podcast and you pop up and we say we put an H card there with our address, it'd have the link to the page, but it'd also say contact them and then it'd pull a contact out and it could like almost automatically set off your Skype or your iPhone or whatever. So it's that kind of data that they're going to start to bring in. It's not being used that often, but they revealed it at their searchology Searchology, I think that's what they call it, their big conference that Google do. Mm. So, and if they're revealing it, they're obviously quite confident that it's going to be, it's not one of their gentle rollouts they do sometimes. This one's obviously quite a big deal from their perspective. The beginning of the semantic web. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense really. I mean, I think it'll just be another thing that, you know, when you're producing your website to think about, it's just, you know, it'll get built into CMSs like WordPress and that. And it'll all start to, you know, it'll all start to percolate through, but. As that starts to get you a little bit more real estate on the search engines, people are going to be interested in seeing what they can do to capitalise on that. Okay, should we talk about your, um, your your chaps you interviewed then? Yeah, there's there's well, there's essentially going to be like four interviews in this little next bit coming oh, up. Oh, can we talk about the can we talk about the Seth Godin interview yeah, yeah. that went wrong? Yeah, the, one of those is the Seth Godin interview. I think it might be the shortest interview ever conducted with the marketing guru Seth Godin in the world. Um, we talked about some of his um, work last last month in the. Can, can I just say, I'm really gloating, because when, when Kelvin told me that he was going to be interviewing Seth Godin, I was really jealous, because I couldn't do it, because I was with a, a client miles away. Uh, but sorry, carry on, so I'm really gloating now. Yeah. Well, it's kind of Andy said, are you sure you know what you're doing with all the technology? And I was uber confident I knew exactly what I was doing. So after yeah, after we'd managed, we'd, we'd spoken about him last week, really recommended his book, dropped him an email, he was really interested. And then I thought, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then I kind of set up my Skype connection I was actually in McDonald's in Victoria so not the most illustrious of Victoria Station not yeah. Victoria Australia yeah yeah Victoria Station um, sat there tested it on, on my wife gave her a call up recorded the Skype conversation it was working fine I was on Twitter mucking about then suddenly when it came to make the phone call the, the connection just went haywire so I managed to get one question before I lost the lost the interview line there which was a little bit embarrassing in front of someone who probably well you could call a hero so it was a little bit um, you know I was in such a bad mood I had to go for a walk around for a couple of hours to calm down after but it's agreed to rearrange it, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, we're rescheduling it. So hopefully that'll be in next month's 
in next month's edition so it should be good and it'll give us a little bit more time for you guys if you've got a question for seth godin um use the the twitter hashtag to let us know and we'll we'll put them to seth so that's hash impc on twitter or drop us an email because all the email details are on the, the the info notes for the podcast and we'll we'll pose your question to him so yeah there's that the the world's shortest interview with seth godin where i managed to get one question before the phone line dropped are out are we gonna put the are we gonna put it in yeah i think we should put the one question there on its own it's kind of like he's, he's enough of a guru that we'll put just that one there and it'll probably be you know 10 times more valuable than anything i could say in an hour so we'll put it that way we'll slip it in at the end yeah, it'll end yeah. very very abruptly then we'll have the outro yeah um and yeah there were three other chaps who were all talking at the search marketing expos all experts in their various field of different angles of um search mark well not search marketing digital marketing as a whole so there's rand fishkin um from the website seomoz.org which we talk about a lot and that's basically one of the best blogs about seo out there but it's got some great tools some great educational content they do video and all this kind of stuff that if you're interested in search marketing analytics pay-per-click any of those kind of things he's really hot on that and he's talking a bit about you know why he changed from a consultancy to a publisher which is really interesting um lyndon ancliffe who is a journalist essentially who writes online and had a huge amount of success with a story he penned which got featured in um, Radio 1 Newsbeat, Radio 4's News Quiz, Fox News, um, and all these things. And the great thing about it was he made it up. So the story wasn't even true. So it's a really good, interesting side of, you know, how to write content that people are interested in. And finally, um, Kieran Norris, who's a, an SEO, but very much an expert on social media and video. And him and his company were the, behind the um, Transport for London video that um, did really well. So that was the video where it was seeing whether you, you know, it was kind of, you, there were two teams playing basketball and you had to count the number of passes. And, um, but at the end of that, they showed you that there was this man in a bear suit doing a moonwalk and no one notices it. And you watch it back and you never notice it because you were looking at the thing. So, and that, you know, did 250 million views on YouTube. So it's a really big viral um, success story. Yeah. So asking him about some of the things he learned in that. Excellent. So we'll run those back to back then. Enjoy. Yes, yeah, so I've been joined here at um, SMX London by um, Ram Fishkin, who's the, the founder of SEOmoz.org, um, which is a website we talk about quite a bit on the podcast in terms of it's got some great free tools, some great blog content, but also there's a kind of premium side behind it with some quite involved SEO tools and some quite good learning um, tools. Um, Rand, um, recently um, I saw a presentation you gave in London at um, the SES conference talking about consultancy models and kind of whether, you know, what opportunities there were moving forward for, you know, marketing consultancies, digital marketing consultancies, and um, why SEO models went to a kind of content and service model. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you went down that line, whether it's a, you know, an option for everyone and, and kind of the, the, the decisions that consultancies have to make on that kind of front, really? Sure. So uh, for us specifically, it was a decision that was made based on on two big factors. One was we had a lot of trouble scaling the consulting side of the business. Basically, growing to support the amount of requests that we had would Mm. mean hiring tons of people, having Mm. a very, very big organization. Mm. And that wasn't something we were particularly aiming for. Uh, The other reason is the revenue multiplier Mm. on a sale, right? So uh, you know, Kelvin, you want to mm. sell your business, right? Mm. Your consulting business. Yep. And, and you last year you made $10 million in yep. your consulting business. 10 million pounds. Yep. A buyer is probably going to offer you mm. 10 million pounds. Yep. If you have a product company, yep. right? A subscription revenue model, mm-hmm. uh, software as a service, yep. um, you know, Salesforce, uh, these kinds of things, yep. SEO models included, mm. 
that mo that revenue multiplier is mm. usually between four to six x. So meaning that yeah. if I made ten million pounds last year in subscription mm. revenue, chances are low offers for my mm. company are going to be forty million mm. pounds. Yeah. So you can see there's there's this massive incentive mm. from an entrepreneurial standpoint mm. to run that, and mm. and from a buyer standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. A consultancy is really people driven uh, based off personality, mm. based off the founders being able to drive in that business. That revenue is mm. sort of fleeting as soon as those people leave or go to other businesses, it's gone. A subscription model, you can buy, the revenue will keep coming in for years and years to come, mm. even if you kind of do nothing with that mm. business. And so that's, mm. so those are the yeah. two, two big reasons. Mm. And Linkscape, you're kind of, I suppose, one of, the, one of the most sophisticated link analysis tools out there. Was that kind of something that came, you know, I suppose it'd be interesting to have a bit of a chat about how the idea came around for that and what, yeah. you know, you, some of the data you've been getting out from the Linkscape tool. Sure. So the idea started in 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of myself and two other guys online were sort of complaining about PageRank. So Google had changed mm -hmm. PageRank a little bit so that they weren't pushing it out every month. It would be like 90 days between updates or, you know, long time between updates. Mm -hmm. They changed the link search so that they weren't showing all the links they, sh mm. they knew about anymore, they were just showing a sample. Those kinds of things yeah. were really causing a lot of frustration for people mm. who wanted to get good link metrics. Mm. Um, and so I think the idea at the time was called mm. Open Rank. Okay. So it was Todd Malakote, uh, Christoph Semper, mm. who's in, based in uh, uh, Europe, and then myself. Mm. And we were sort of like, oh man, you know, mm. it'd be great to have this open ranking system where someone would build their own crawl of the web and calculate mm. their own page rank like metrics mm. and yada yada. And in 2007, we uh, had uh, some venture capital companies who were pitching mm. us to take investment. We ended up going with one of those, mm. um, took some external dollars, and used that mm. to build our Linkscape web index, which is essentially mm. very similar in thinking to like Google's mm. web index or Yahoo's. And do you think the process of kind of building that index has taught you quite a lot about oh, how God. the search engines think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just... There's so many big and little things to take away from mm. that. I wrote a blog post recently mm. that was sort of like lessons yeah. learned from building an index yeah. of the World Wide Web. And you can see the struggles the engines have with duplicate content, mm. with um, canonicalization, mm. with uh, crawling, with mm. you know how to treat sort of specific uh, subdomains versus root mm. domains versus subfolders versus mm. individual pages and how to connect different websites that mm. are clearly part of the same organization yeah. or entity those challenges became really, really apparent to us and I think made us um, more big believers in mm. a lot of the SEO best practices and helped to verify a lot of those mm. things. And so, I mean, along with the Linkscape tool there, you've got, you know, the purpose of that is giving information to people to, to do SEO and to do the kind of online marketing there and you've got some, some guides as well. Do you think like, okay, so say I'm, you know, never done digital, digital marketing before, you know, I've done a little bit of research on the various blogs and that. Is it something you think you can teach yourself with the resources that are out there? You know, there's quite a lot of good content that people are producing. Do you think it's possible? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm essentially, I think every SEO, every internet marketer is essentially mm. self-taught, mm. right? You, you do go and you find mm. resources and maybe you pay for some and you don't pay mm. for others. Um, I absolutely believe that, you know, you can certainly go out and get this information. Mm. I, SEO Moz has probably a hundred times the mm. free content as, yeah. as opposed to paid mm. content, right? And the paid content is really designed mm. to be very specific, mm. very niche, very, you know, mm. maybe advanced in some senses. There's the Q&A, which is sort of like you ask and yeah. we directly reply to questions, that mm. kind of thing. And has that kind of been a bit inspired by the kind of Chris Anderson freemiums, you know, you know the, the guy behind Long Tail? And sure. Thinking there, so or? I think 
I think we were really close to about the same time. Yeah. Uh, coming out with that, and I don't. Re- I'm not sure that we actually realized we were a freemium business yeah. model until mm. we sort of mm. looked and said, "Oh, this has a name. Mm. Now people are calling it yeah. freemium." Yeah. So yeah, we were either just ahead of the mm. curve or right at the same mm. time as the curve. And do you think that's a good approach for businesses generally to take then, to, to kind of give give quite a bit away for free and then be prepared to charge for the stuff that's got the real value? I think if you are familiar with that model and familiar with how to turn mm. a um, sort of a fan or a subscriber mm. into a paying customer, mm. then yes, absolutely. But for many people, I think that you don't necessarily have to mm. give away the free stuff. Mm. I mean, there's there's plenty of guys, um, you know, plenty of folks mm. even here, the mm. conversion rate experts guys, mm. uh, some other ones where it's paid tool only. Yep. There is no free stuff that goes with it. Mm. They do either enterprise or high level sales mm. and they do great. Mm. So it's not mm. critical, mm. but it can be mm. exciting. And generally, how was the reaction to the community when you kind of went from being, you know, because you started as a consultancy, as sure. I understand, and then moved to kind of a bit more of the content and services, but then went from kind of giving this great content away for free to charging people for it? Did, you know, what was the reaction like? Did people respond, you know, was, you know, how did people respond, I suppose, really? Sure. So I think when mm. we announced that we were doing it, people worried a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but when we did it, we basically, we've continued to be extremely generous with our yeah. free content. And so we didn't take anything that was previously free mm. and make it paid. Yep. We only put new stuff in there. And basically for every large scale mm. uh, premium offering, mm. we always make sure we have mm. something free that mm. comes out at the same time. Yeah. So making and, sure the community is mm. happy. And yet, I mean, you're all suited and booted today that the people on the podcast won't be able to see, but you, you had quite a reputation before for your, ye- your yellow trainers and that kind of sure. thing and your attendance at the conferences. Do you think that's kind of been quite an important part of your success, really, that personal branding when taking things offline? Or has it just been the content that's been there? Or is it, you know, how yeah, you respond maybe. to people in a social environment? Do you think that's been part of the, part of the success of SEO? So I think to the success of the community yeah. and the success of sort of the... Um, attitude that you see yeah. on SEO Moz. You know, a, a lot of people comment that mm. YouTube comments are just mm. terrible and, yeah. and dig comments are terrible. And uh, mm. uh, TechCrunch mm. recently, the comments have gotten, mm. you know, lower and lower yeah. quality in class. And I think that we've been able to maintain a really, really high signal to noise ratio yeah. with SEO Moz, both mm. with the content that's submitted yeah. and the content that's user created. Uh, and I, I suspect a lot of it has to do with that, right? Yeah. Being personable, being yeah. friendly, making lots of connections yeah. and relationships, having lots of people refer mm. to us. But as far as the paid tool side, mm. I don't. I don't think that that's mm. impacted it as no. much. It, it's much more helpful, honestly, mm. to have the personal brand with a consulting relationship yeah. than it is mm. with sort of you know many many subscribers. We have like five thousand subscribers yeah. to our tools and, mm. and services. Cool. And ju- just a final question, really, in terms of you, you do quite a lot of the traveling around to the various conferences around around the world, and you're here in the UK. You of course based in the US and. I know I've been out to Sydney and that. Do, they, do the conferences and the content vary quite a lot, or is it because you've got the same kind of um, speakers? Do they, you know, is a UK um, conference different to a, um, a US um, conference? There's a good number of differences. Mm. I'd say that uh, London in particular, mm. SMX London in particular, is extremely advanced. Probably yeah. the content and the attendees are mm. on par with uh, the SMX Advanced Show, yeah. which, is, which happens in Seattle um, every year. And yeah. that's... That's pretty mm. interesting. Compare and contrast mm. with much smaller shows um, or, or, or very different shows. Mm. So, for example, uh, when I was in Stockholm, mm. uh, that was a much less advanced sort of market. Mm. Um, when I was in Sydney, that mm. was actually a moderately advanced market. 
Uh, I spoke in uh, Reykjavik, which okay. is in Iceland. Yep. That was a very beginner level mm. audience, and and you know we were really giving sort mm. of basic intro level presentations. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. I think I'd say the content is vastly mm. different, and you do. Uh, in Germany, for example, mm. I spoke in Munich recently, just a few weeks back, um, and was keynoting there. The audience is quite advanced, and there's actually a, a large number of sort of black, gray yeah. hat yeah. kinds of things, programmatic things, yeah. uh, tools, systematic, systematic. way of doing SEO rather than yeah. the kind of market. Because yeah, there's, that's the two disciplines, isn't there? I suppose is the the creative marketing right. side, but there's the analytical. I mean, know. we taught, we had a we had a whole thing, whole thing on social media mm. uh, during SMX Munich. And I have to say that, you know, I think that some of the speakers there sort of almost reprimanded me like, look, social media might work great in the U.S. and in English language markets. There's just not a social audience Mm. in in the German language market yet, not an Mm. advanced enough one to be getting links in that fashion. Cool. Well, cheers. Thanks for that, Ryan. That's been really helpful. And I hope the guys on the listening have found that useful as well. Thank you very much, Kelvin. So I'm at SMX London um, 2009, and I'm joined by um, Lyndon Ancliffe, um, mainly of Cornwall SEO, but um, recently launched uh, a new website, which is Magnetic Web Content. Is that the URL? That's right, yeah. Uh, magneticwebcontent.com. Okay. And for the guys who might well, might well not have come across Lyndon before, um, what Lyndon tends to specialise in, is from an SEO background to a certain extent, but writing content that's intended to do well, attract attention and get links, ultimately, I suppose. Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my, my thing, sort of my natural uh, sort of talent seems to be writing some interesting, attractive headlines and also coming up with some great ideas mm. for uh, content and how, mm. to, how to do well on things yeah. like social media and dig. Mm. And there's one particular case that um, I suppose it's probably a little bit annoying for you to talk about, but it's like <laughs> the story of the one yeah. that's the... Um, the, 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 the kind of uber success story of the, the, you know, the content you've worked on in terms of the, the hooker piece, for want of a better description. Can you give us a bit of a background for people who not come across that and, and how that worked and kind of the experience of going for a piece of content that does is successful to that extent sure sure I mean I mean yeah I mean the, the, these things when uh, I guess it breaks and goes big you do kind of, well you don't really you shouldn't really get sick of it because it, mm. it, it, there's lots of benefits from it mm. but yeah so um, about a year ago I wrote a story uh, that was headlined uh, boy steals father's credit card to buy hookers mm. um, which of course is completely wrong because you can't actually buy hookers yeah. you have to rent them <laughs> um, and um, it was really just a bit of fun and obviously wrote it wrote it as an article for a, for a website yeah. who were concentrating on credit cards and uh, it kind of went a bit mental got picked up by the sun yeah. uh, went on Fox News Radio 1 uh, it's on even Radio 4 News Quiz oh. so uh, yeah and it just got a massive amount of links mm. and uh, and of course the resulting thing was because the story was I, I mean I intended it as a mm. bit of satire I just thought mm. oh this would just be a funny story yeah. and people would kind of know it was was fake but, but uh, most people thought it was true mm. so there was a bit of a fallout from mm. is it is it wrong to uh, to, st- to yeah. tell uh, Porky Pies mm. online although I didn't really see it as, as lying because it wasn't selling a product. It wasn't no. defaming anyone. It wasn't, you know, doing it. He wasn't selling credit cards yeah, to unemployed it, it people like banks yeah. do. Yeah, it wasn't a lie. It was just kind of a completely fictional just, story yeah, that you didn't think just, anyone would take seriously. It was a crazy yeah. thing. I mean, it ends up with the with the thirteen year olds explaining to the prostitutes mm. that they have to sleep with them because they're actually midgets from a performing circus, and it's wrong. It's against the uh, rules of the, the Texas uh, Disability Act. So, mm. You know, and I, I honestly didn't think people mm. were. But take 
take it seriously, but they did. Um, but the, the article was actually crafted specifically to um, appeal to a to, to the kind of demographic mm. that makes things mm. go viral. Mm. And so is there any particular you know, trends from that one and other pieces of content you've worked on that you know, is useful you know, touch points or pain points, I suppose, to pick up on that you think you know, nine times out of ten, if you, ha- you know, if you produce a piece of content that touches on this, it increases likelihood of you know well, that, yeah. attracting links. Yeah, I mean that's actually a good point because um, the people who tend to make things go viral, mm. they tend to be a, a specific de- demographic. They've got mm. a specific mindset and and they are interested in certain things. For instance, I had one that went quite nicely, mm. but it was something like uh, why zombies shouldn't be allowed at the poker table. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, they're always thrown mm. in their hand. Yeah. Their eyes are always falling out into the mm. martini glasses. It's uh, you know it can get real messy. Um, so you know the zombie mm. thing, uh, you know the World of Warcraft thing. Mm. You know talking about you know if you talk about apples or iPhones yeah. or you know any of these geek mm. hotspots, yeah. you um, you know you can th- those are like your building blocks, mm. and you've got yeah. to put them together in a way that makes it interesting mm. and engaging. Mm. And I suppose the trick is as well to a certain extent is to try and not cover stuff that's been done before. I suppose is the danger now, isn't it? That you know have certain topics been done to death now. Well, and it's not well, um, well, yes and no. I mean, that, that is actually a, a recurring theme of any um, the, the uh, creative process, as, as in film, as in yeah. books. You know, you know, do we really want to see another cop yeah. uh, movie? You know, and, and the reality is, is that these um, tried and tested themes. The reason why they get used all the time is because they work. Yeah, and so you know. And when, when you actually analyse uh, stories, you actually find out that there are only about 12 different yeah. types of stories. Yeah. And these stories are constantly mm. being redone, but with different twists mm. and with different themes. So, mm. no, there's, there's always new stuff mm. to be done. You, you, you've just got to get that mm. creative mm. juices flowing. And do you think you need to be a natural writer pr- to produce this kind of content? Or is it because, I, I you know, personally, I you know, do a bit of writing for our blog and that kind of thing, and I've always been interested in writing, so it's not something that... I, you know, when I'm yeah. working on content, I never find it that challenging. But I do know for a lot of people, it's quite a daunting thing, you know, sitting down in front of a blank sheet of paper and trying to come up with, you know, five, six hundred words that, you know, someone's going to find interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, um, I, I would go along with that. I would go further in saying that you have to be naturally curious. Yeah. It, it helps that if, if you have a natural curiosity of what makes people tick, um, what works and what kind of stories... It, I think you have to be a storyteller. Yeah. You not necessarily are interested in, you know, where the semicolon should be used or not, mm. but you like telling stories, you like getting people excited, you like uh, and and that definitely um helps if you want to make something mm. viral. Mm. Well, cheers for that, Lyndon. That's been a great insight there into, in terms of how people can go out there produce content that's going to attract attention, get people to their site and, you know, come from an SEO perspective there's always a little bit of a bonus if you can get a link there as well so thanks for that Lyndon absolutely thanks Lyndon Kelvin I'm at SMX 2009 I've been joined by Kieran Norris from um, Altogether um, Digital Kieran's um, a director of search social and affiliate is that I think that's my job title today yes and Kieran's been talking on a number of panels today at the conference but um, one of the ones that interested me the most was the what's new in social media and it was quite interesting because your your presentation had kind of two vibes to it one was very much okay you know quite inspirational you know okay here's something that's really powerful but on the same same hand you were kind of playing it down to a certain extent is is it kind of like a, a realization that social media is kind of right gone over the peak of that hype cycle or is it just a kind of realization that it's not the you know elixir to that everyone's been that thought it might be um i think i don't know it was kind of it it was i guess i just in, in some ways wanted to sort of spike the kool-aid a, a, a little bit and i think that 
we as as marketers and and particularly those of us in digital marketing can get a bit carried away and because we use twitter every day and because we live on facebook and because we don't take a photo that doesn't go on, go on Flickr. we kind of assume that everyone else does and mm. that that that, it, that the hype is is uh, is justified in the real mm. world and actually i think a lot of the time what you're seeing is especially with you know sites like facebook and youtube mm. which are in, in, hugely popular there's no arguing with that but they don't have business models they don't have revenue models and you just have to ask how long can mm. this continue i'm sure that they will find something yeah. but the idea <coughs> excuse me that these things would are just going to kill old media and and they're going to go on happily ever after i don't think it's going to come about until they've actually worked out how to monetize the traffic yeah. they are getting yeah and I, I mean i suppose what's interesting is it what what was you know what i found uh, it's difficult with these social media sessions it's like what's new in social media and it felt like you know to a certain extent yeah you know facebook's great you know people are talking about twitter now which they weren't last year but it's kind of yeah friends does my tip for yeah. 2009 <laughs> so i mean do you think that people are really starting to get it now or is it still kind of everyone wants to do it but no one really knows where to start is that the stage we're at really i think i think I th- yeah i mean there's, there's obviously there's no rule there are some people mm. who are who obviously yeah. get it yeah. whatever it is mm. But yeah, there are there are a lot of people. I mean, I sort of I sort of joke that the, you, you get companies who come in and they say, well, we want to do something on YouTube, and you say, why do you want to do something yeah. on YouTube? Well, because the CEO's granddaughter asked why we weren't on YouTube, and therefore yeah. we have to be on YouTube. Mm. And I think there is still some people who very much are kind of everyone else is doing it, therefore we yeah. have to, yeah. which is always going to mm. result in the the, the wrong answer. It's mm. going to result in bad bad work. Um, and then on the other side of things, there are people who probably should be getting involved, but are mm. potentially too scared, and often without good reason, because mm. they they honestly, you know, they, they're worried about people might say something nasty, and mm. it's kind of well, people are saying nasty things whether you like it or not, but maybe mm. if you talk back, they'll say something nice instead. And do you, do you think as marketers, we've we've been, you know, have people been too quick to say, yeah, yeah, we'll create you a YouTube channel without actually thinking about what that's going to be? Is that absolutely. a pattern you're seeing, and yeah. a lot of people doing that kind yeah, of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we get we we get clients and. Um, we had one only a couple of weeks ago in fact mm. and through a partner agency and they had they had some their their existing agency had said so what we're going to do is we're going to create a youtube Flickr and facebook mm. and it's kind of like great what are you going to do with those mm. yeah and that's where that's where that's where the thinking thinking had ground to a halt so yeah, having you know there's no harm in having all these channels but mm. they don't do anything without without something in them and I, I think this is what it comes back to with the with about what's going to survive you know old media new media it's all kind of meaningless is that at the end of the day, people like great creative. Mm. And we have a sort of, uh, a slightly tongue-in-cheek saying altogether, which mm. is, entertain me or F off. Yeah. And that's kind of how we think the consumer sees mm. modern brands. Mm. Now, you know, if you haven't got something that's going to keep me entertained, then I'm not interested and I'm going to go on my merry way. You can actually stretch it out from that. It doesn't have to be entertaining necessarily. It could be informative, yeah. educational, useful, um, a utility. I mean, yeah. I think one of the greatest examples of viral marketing of, of, of the last sort of 15 years since the internet came along is xe.com mm. which is a currency yeah. calculator but it's just so good and so mm. simple to use that everyone forwards it on and everyone links to it and it's mm. the most popular service for, for that particular tool mm. and talking about strong creative then because you know we're here with a, the, you know, a market at the conference of search marketers mm. and you know everyone kind of wants a piece of this social media pie I mean I keep quite a close tab <laughs> on the, the online PR sector and they've kind of got their own little debate going yeah, on yeah, and yeah. there's the link builders and there's the yeah, yeah. you know and the brand reputation people but you're talking a lot about creative do you think actually once the the you know the kind of ad agencies get their, their, their head around it or the creative agencies it's going to kind of just fall back to them and it's kind of although there's a piece of the pie for the you know the digital marketers now they're just going to kind of fall you know it's uh, Yes and no. I mean, you know, the most successful 
social media campaign we did was with mm. a piece of creative that was made by an ad agency which mm. was which was originally intended for TV but yeah. luckily the, 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 the digital strategist at, at, at WCRS we work with mm. spotted the opportunity for this video do the test mm. to yeah. go viral and we worked with him to make that happen so absolutely there's you know there's going to be great work that comes out of ad agencies but there's going to be terrible work that comes out of ad agencies just as there is now I think you know it, it's kind of the, the, the world is yours kind of mm. thing I think in, in this in this space and also I think because it doesn't necessarily have to be when I say creative it doesn't have to be video yeah. it doesn't yeah. have to be an ad you know yeah. I think that's probably where maybe sometimes the ad agencies will get caught up in their sort of old thinking is that um you know, some of the link bait stuff that people like Lyndon or Rand or the Distilled Boys do, an ad agency would never think of having a are you a zombie yeah. quiz, but yeah. it's yeah, that's brilliant, you know, and, and I, th I think there's this... Social media marketing is as wide as marketing. Mm. You know, there is, a, there is space for PR, there's a space for DM, there's a space for everything, and I think there will be people and, and different mm. sort of groups of people and sectors that, are, that excel in those, in all, in all areas. And that, that do the test is a kind of a perfect example, is, you know, it, for the people who, I'll, I'll add a link into the podcast to, 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 to show where that is, but that was basically the kind of one, well, there's been a couple now, isn't there, where Transport for London were illustrating the cyclist and, you know, people not spotting the fact that there was a bear doing the moonwalk. Exactly. Was there any particular you know you know that being such a great crossover example what was the you know what was the lessons that that taught you from that you know that you think has been really good that people can apply yeah. to their own kind of content they're creating I mean I think I think what's interesting for me is as I compared it to uh, another campaign which we did which was for which was for uh, Brill Cream which was also very successful you know we we're very happy with it which was um, where we basically built built a TV ad based on MySpace so we, we, we used MySpace to audition people to star in a TV ad and to find yeah. a band and we had about 200 entries for the video aspect of it and about 1500 for the songs which is actually pretty good like there are there are tv competitions where they only get 1800 entries um and then we then we seeded the ad which was again it was a nice you know it's a nice ad and we got like quarter of a million half million views or something like that which we were pretty chuffed with then when we got do the test and we had a target of 150,000 and within a month we had four million views we started to think okay well there's something different here i mean there's, a, there's an element of sort of uh, black swan it was just yeah. it was just one of those things that caught the mood and yeah. it just got it just hit you know there was, a, there was some luck in that obviously but what i think is interesting is obviously is that the content has to make people sort of almost do a double take mm. you know it, it, there there needs to be an element of you know we want things to be viral so you have to actually think to take it back and mm something being funny is not enough reason for mm. you to send it on to your friends yeah. and I think a lot of people mistake viral they mistake viral with meaning video and they mistake yeah. viral with meaning you know man funny. falling yeah. off a bridge yeah. and actually with the, the moon, with the do the test and give the game away there's nothing funny about it but because it's it, the unexpected it's the unexpected it, yeah. and, and people we found from looking mm. at the stats people were rewinding it and watching it again because they thought we'd faked it they yeah. thought they didn't believe that when it comes mm. in at the end they'd done it so with that it was sort of like we'd given the people a reason to forward it on in that yeah. I didn't spot it did you yeah. whereas with the Brill Cream one it was kind of like this is just a it, it was yeah. just this is a cool ad yeah. and that was kind of mm. all so I think sort of you actually do have to think mm. about how do you put the viral into the mm. content's DNA mm. um, and also when you take it back to the, the, the first stage of the broken competition don't make you know don't make too many barriers to entry you mm. know we needed someone who was going to be able to do all those tricks yeah. so actually for us 200 videos was fine yeah. but you, you see a lot of social media campaigns where they get two entries mm. and it's massive you know, I know yeah. a massive brand that did a global campaign and had like 20 entries yeah. um, and it was because they just at no point did they think why would anyone want to mm. do this yeah. 
and I think that's the sort of thing you need to step back and start thinking as a consumer rather than as a marketer cool. and as a final question really to round it off here as there's more of these successes and more you know more the hit rate gets higher do you think people are going to get better at guessing how they're going to do it right or is there always going to be hits and misses in the same way some movies do well and other movies don't do well do you yeah. think it's I mean, Heaven's Gate was meant to be the most was going to be the most successful film of all time, yeah. and it was the biggest flop of all time. So I think, you know, we, I see, um, there are bits of work that come through to us, and I'm like, that's horrible. I hate it. And, and in fact, you know, generally, if I don't like something, I would think that's a pretty good sign that's going to be a success because I seem to have a terrible hit rate of working out what's going to work. So, you know, there's there's a lot of art as well as you know, there's yeah. a science to it, but there's a lot of art. And people, we're un, you know, we're unpredictable beasts at the end of the day. And if there was if there was a uh, a golden rule of, of, of how to do this I wouldn't be sitting lovely as this is I wouldn't be sitting here now I'd be on a beach in the Bahamas so um, luckily the, the, we will all be able to have to keep working at it for, for a while yet cool thanks for that Kieran thank you in, um, in Meatball Sunday you talk a fair bit about um, you know the product being really important to your marketing effort and that if you're selling commodities and some of this kind of um, you know, the, the, the Sunday, the, the cherry on top won't really work if the product doesn't really suit that. I was just wondering, really, you know, you've worked on a lot of products in the past, whether there was any particular products you'd worked on or any stories you've got about, you know, have you ever had to deal with a product that you didn't believe that strongly in? Well, I'm fortunate because I don't do consulting. Yeah. Um, that I only work on products I believe in. Mm. I, I think that marketers either have to minimize their impact on the world, meaning that they don't do anything particularly important, in which case it doesn't really matter what you do. Or we have to acknowledge that what we do works yeah. and what we do is important and what we do has impact. Yeah. Yes. True. Then how, mm. then how dare you work on a product you don't mm. believe in? Yeah. So do you think that's all? Right? Yeah, so that's always going to be the dilemma then for the, the consultant, isn't it? That they're, they're not really going to be, well, or should they only accept the work then that they, they, they really believe they can bring something to the table on? Well, you know, if I was a consultant, I would want a practice where I got paid more than anyone else and where there was a long line of people who wanted yeah. to be my, cust who wanted to be my mm -hmm. customer. Uh, well, it seems to me the way you accomplish both those things is by auditioning people who are good enough to be your client. And the fact that they, you take them on is... Uh, a voting confidence of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to rationalize yourself of taking lesser work and doing things you're not proud of. Mm. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com and feel free to send in MP3 files as well and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management categories. Or you can find us at FeedBurner at feeds.feedburner.com slash academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off, wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing.